Thank you, Sherry. And uh, thank you again for being here with us this morning um, to worship God with us and to hear from God. Uh, This morning, we are going to be looking at Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, talking about uh, the spirit of God's mission. Uh, Yes, this is Groundhog's Day. I did preach a sermon not too long ago over Acts chapter 1, these same verses. But hopefully this will, this will definitely have a different emphasis as that was more of a, a broad brush uh, intro overview of the book of Acts and of uh, my sermon series. So while uh, the topic is still, the broad topic is still the same, the mission of God is his mission to spread his good and glorious kingdom to the ends of the earth through his church. This morning we're going to look at the powerful, um, important and beautiful role that the Holy Spirit plays in that mission. So please pray with me, and then we'll get started. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you for giving us your word. We thank you for giving us your son. We thank you for planning it before the foundation of the world, that we would be here this morning, and that we would hear from you. So we pray, God, that that you would speak. We pray that you would tell us about your son and all of his uh, glorious riches, the sacrifice that he has made for us, um, the love that he has for us and that you have for us, and the ways in which we can find life and love in him. And we pray that you would give us your Holy Spirit this morning. We can't understand your words on our own. Our minds are dull. Our ears don't hear well. Our eyes don't see well. Uh, Father, we need your Holy Spirit to open these words to us. And Father, and we just, we need you. Um, uh, the more uh, we live in this world, the more we experience it, the more that we deal with uh, loss and our own limitations, the more we see uh, that we need the love of another. We need the love of a Heavenly Father who is powerful and strong and wise to come into our lives and help us. I pray that you do that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, uh, my wife has embarked on an endeavor, and that endeavor is to take our children through the Harry Potter book series. Uh, she's decided that e- each summer or Christmas when we have a break, she's going to get one of the books, and she's going to read it to the kids. And so as a compromise, I have embarked on an endeavor, and that is that I will watch the movies with the kids whenever they get done reading the books. I feel like that's a, that's a fair trade-off, right? Uh, so they, they read the books, then they watch the movies. So far, they've only got through the first book, uh, Harry Potter, and the, the book is The Philosopher's Stone. The, so I've seen a movie, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. So they made a little tweak there based on the book. They're pretty close. I haven't read the book, so I'm going to tell you a little bit about the movie. If you're one of the book snobs, then please reserve all judgment for later. Okay, But uh, if you're not familiar with Harry Potter, Harry Potter is a... It's a story about an 11-year-old boy who grows up in a miserable life, uh, living with his, some relatives under the stairs. And he doesn't know who he is. And then he turns 11, and he finds out that he's a wizard. So he goes to the school of uh, Hogwarts, School for Witchcraft and Wizardry. And it's there he learns how to, um, he learns how to be a wizard. And in the midst of that, what he, what he realizes is that he is right square in the middle of a cosmic battle, a battle between uh, Voldemort, who is the evil one and who engages in the dark arts, 
Um, and then the, the normal witchcraft and wizardry, which would represent the good, the good part, right? And he's right at the center of this battle because whenever Harry was a kid, Voldemort came to kill his parents. He killed both of Harry's parents, um, but he could not kill Harry. And Harry didn't know this till later on in the story, but he couldn't kill Harry. So they sent Harry to be raised by his relatives, and now he's coming back to Hogwarts. And he comes back to Hogwarts, and, and all this crazy stuff's happening, and what he learns is that Voldemort has come, has come back. He's trying to regain his power. He wants to get this stone that he thinks is going to give him riches and uh, immortality. And so he's trying to uh, kill Harry, and he's trying to get the stone. Well, there's a, a character in the book, um, Professor... Oh, I wrote it down. I'm going to butcher it. Professor Quirrell, Quirrell, okay, so uh, Professor Quirrell has these interactions with Harry, and they're kind of awkward, and they're kind of weird, because he won't really, like, touch Harry, like, he won't shake his hand or anything like that. Well, I'm going to totally spoil the movie and the book for you, okay? You had plenty of time to read it and watch the movie, but you get to the end of the book, and you realize that, uh, that Voldemort is, is sort of inhabited Quirrell, Quirrell, how do you say that? It should be Quirrell, Quirrell, okay? He's inhabited him, Right? He, like, he's like the host, and, and Voldemort is, is sort of living off of him because Voldemort doesn't have strength, enough strength to live on his own. So they come. They're face-to-face. Quirrell is trying to kill Harry, and he, when he tries to kill Harry, Harry puts his hands on him. And when he puts his hands on him, Quirrell begins to disintegrate. He breaks down. Voldemort leaves. Harry wins. So after all this is over, Harry's in the hospital and he's recovering uh, because this, you know, it weakened him, it damaged him. Uh, and Professor Dumbledore comes in. Dumbledore is the, uh, the, the headmaster, the teacher of Hogwarts, and he sort of has the sage wisdom and he knows the story and he's explaining to Harry what happened. And as they're sitting there, um, uh, Dumbledore says to Harry, he says, do, do you know why uh, Voldemort couldn't kill you? Harry says, no. He says, it's because he can't touch love, because Voldemort hates love. And when you were a baby, your mother sacrificed herself for you. She gave herself for you in love. And because of that, you have love in your skin. And because you have love in your skin, Voldemort can't touch you. And when I, when I heard that, I thought, what? What a great picture of the gospel and the Holy Spirit in our life. Because of the sacrificial love that Jesus had for us and giving up himself for us in love to rescue us from the sin and misery of this world. And then because God was, was gracious and wise and gave us the Holy Spirit, we have Jesus' love in us, present in us because of the Holy Spirit. We have the power of love alive and at work in us. And as we engage in real spiritual warfare in this world, right? So I'm not condoning wizards and witchcraft and wizardry and all those things, but there is real spiritual evil in the world. The f- Satan and the world and the flesh are real. And we're engaging in spiritual warfare on a regular, on a daily basis, on a minute-by-minute basis. And it's in the midst of that that we have to realize that we have the power of love in us because we have the Holy Spirit. So this morning, as we look at this text, what I want you to see is that the, the Holy Spirit 
is the power of God that brings the kingdom of God to bear in our lives. And it empowers us to bear witness to the kingdom of God in this world. So it's the power of God that brings the kingdom of God to bear in our lives, and it empowers us to bear witness to the kingdom, to God's kingdom in this world. And, and we need this power. We need it. Uh, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, which I feel like, for whatever reason, has become this very impractical, mystical thing that people just don't understand. And they're, they're either, you know, you know over, they're just, there's lots of misconceptions. But what I hope you realize as we sort of talk through this is <laughs> that we need the Holy Spirit because we are, we are powerless people, right? And if you're a parent, you know this regularly at bedtime because you're exhausted and you're tired and you want nothing more for your kids to go to sleep so that you can rest and they're exhausted and they're tired. And, you, and, and there's, there's actually spiritual conflict going on in that moment when you want to be kind to them and gentle and gracious, but you can't because you're so tired. <laughs> and what's best and good for them is to sleep, but they have this will striving against you because they don't want to go to sleep. Uh, we're powerless when we face difficult projects at work. When we work and we work and we work and we're trying to work through the problem and finally we just put our head in our hands and we go, oh, I can't do it. Um, we need the Spirit's power to even get to know our neighbors, right? Jesus calls us to love our neighbors. How hard is it to even just like walk across the street and be like, hey, I'm Shane. What's your name? Like much less invite them over for a meal or talk to them about the hard things in their lives. Uh, we need the, the Spirit's power to help us worship Jesus instead of money and comfort and fame or anything else. Like it's, it's really, really hard to worship Jesus. It's to do what Eddie talked about with idols, confessing idols and giving up idols and breaking idols. Like we can't do that on our own. That's something we need the Spirit to help us do. We need the Spirit's power to help us... <laughs> to help us love our spouses and to help our spouses love us. There, there's a, a simple fight around the house, an annoyance, attention. It is not something, you know, that just happens out of nowhere in a vacuum. It's, it's spiritual warfare. It is, it is the world, the flesh, and the devil conspiring to make you hate each other in that moment. And we need the Spirit's power to help us in those moments. We need power to fight our addictions. Um, I believe one of the first steps in AA is to admit that you're powerless, that you can't do it on your own. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to maintain faith, hope, and love in the midst of this world. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going we're to learn about the Holy Spirit, and hopefully we'll see its power working in our lives in all these situations. So we're going to look at three simple questions. Okay, Who is the Spirit? What does the Spirit do? And how do we receive it? Okay, so if you look back at the text, the Spirit is mentioned two times in the opening text we just read. Acts chapter 1, verse 5. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then in 7. It is not for you to know the times of the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So the Holy Spirit is mentioned here. The Holy Spirit is the third member of the Trinity. 
So Christians believe that there's one God in three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're equal in substance and power and glory. The Holy Spirit is every bit God of God. He's every bit as much as God as the Father and the Son are. But he's a spirit, right? He's, he's, the, he's, he's the Holy Spirit, right? Holy, he's called holy because he comes from God. Doesn't come from anything else. Uh, theologians say that the Spirit proceeds from God the Father and from the Son. Right? It's separate from man. It's separate from, he's separate from man. He's separate from creation. separate from everything else. He's holy. He's also spirit. It means it's, it's a wind or breath. Right? The Holy Spirit is God's breath that brings all goodness, all life, all joy to this world. All the blessings of God are brought to this world by the active agent of the breath of the Holy Spirit. And if, I'm going to give a few examples. You go through Scripture and you, you see this over and over. You realize that the Holy Spirit is there all through Scripture. In Genesis 1, it says, God said, let there be light. The Holy Spirit was that active agent bringing light into existence whenever God said it. Uh, Ezekiel 37 is this picture of Ezekiel a prophet. He sees a valley of dry bones, right? Well, he, he prophesies. The Spirit comes, says that it's going to give life to those dry bones, that something is going to come and breathe life into those dry bones. The Spirit, it's a picture of salvation. It's a picture of regeneration, that you and I, before we had Christ, were dry, dead bones, and the Spirit came and gave us life and covered those bones with flesh. Uh, in John 20, Jesus is resurrected, right? He's, he's with his disciples. It's before his ascension. And what does Jesus do? He breathes on them and gives them the Holy Spirit. Acts 2, the day of Pentecost, Holy Spirit falls, and it's described as a wind. And then Ephesians 5, Paul tells us, Christians, believers, to be filled with the Spirit, right? It's to, to, live, to be a Christian, right, to be spiritually alive is, to, is literally to breathe. It's to breathe in and out. It's to have real spiritual life within you that's causing you to live and to move uh, connected to God. The, the Holy Spirit is this life-giving force that connects us to the Father, connects us to Jesus, and brings to us all the benefits that God the Father planned before the foundation of the world and that Jesus accomplished on the cross. That's who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is not the way we manipulate God. It's not. And I think it's the way the Holy Spirit has been portrayed sometimes almost uh, makes us into a puppeteer. It's like we're... If you're under 30, you might not know what a puppeteer is, right? Like, they used to have these puppeteers. They would have sticks, right? And then uh, attached in their hands, and then attached to those sticks would be a string, and then on the bottom would be a puppet, and you would move your fingers, and that would move the strings, and then it would move the puppet. This is how they did puppet shows, right? Well, I think what we've done in, in some ways, uh, what the church has done, is, is it's turned the Holy Spirit, that string, to where we can do certain things, and that'll pull the string, and that'll make God do this. So if I pray a certain prayer over and over and over again, then that means that God is going to bless me. That's what people have taught. Right? Or if I have enough faith, if I believe enough, then the Holy Spirit is going to move God and it's going to make God do something. 
That's not the way the Holy Spirit works. It does not turn us into a puppeteer and God our puppet. Uh, the Holy Spirit is not a feeling that we can, it's not a, we, we can't baptize our feelings with the Holy Spirit. We can't just say, I felt this. It was the Holy Spirit, so I'm going to do it. That is not what the Holy Spirit is. It is not this, a subjective feeling that we, we can just use to baptize everything we want to do. Uh, there's a verse, Proverbs 4.12. It's very disconcerting. It says, There is a way that seems right to a man, and in the end it leads to destruction. That's a scary verse, because that means I could think something is really right and do it, and it could be the totally wrong thing. So how do I know what the Holy Spirit is telling me versus what I just think and feel is right? Well, the Holy Spirit is never going to contradict God's word, right? So we have the objective word of God, and the Holy Spirit is this subjective thing that brings this alive in our lives and helps us understand it. So if the Holy Spirit is telling me to do something that is not according to God's word, then it's not the Holy Spirit. So we can't just use them to baptize everything that we want to do. And the Holy Spirit is not unnecessary. Let me say that again. I'm, try to make this, I'm, I'm trying not to make this a double negative. The Holy Spirit is necessary. It is not unnecessary. So what some people have done is they've seen all the excesses of the Holy Spirit, and they've said, okay, we see all those excesses, we're just going to totally stay away from it. We're, just, we're not going to talk about it. We're not going to access it. We're not going to study it or anything. Well, Jesus says here when he's talking to the disciples in verse 4, he tells them to wait for the Spirit. Like, hey, I've got this mission I've been telling you about. I've been preparing you about. There's one last thing. Wait for the Holy Spirit. We have got to have the Holy Spirit in our lives. This is of utmost importance because the error of uh, uh, all, all those errors that I was just telling you about, at the end of the day, they all lead us to, to depend on ourselves, on our own strength. If the Holy Spirit becomes a work, or if we leave the Holy Spirit behind, then all we're left to is our own strength. Now imagine that I handed you Hamlet, and I said, here's Hamlet. I want you to read this and study it, and then I want you to write like Shakespeare. Could you do that? No, because you're not Shakespeare. But what if we took the genius of Shakespeare and put it in you? What if that were possible? Then you could write like Shakespeare. Well, the Holy Spirit is the, is, is the life of God coming in us so that we can experience God and connect with him and live out his ways. I've belabored the point, but I think you get it. The Spirit is the power of God in us. It's important. It's necessary. So what does it do? It's, it's hard. You, you almost can't talk about the Holy Spirit without talking about what it does. Uh, so there, it does a lot. I can't go into all those verses. If you want, I can send you a couple things you can read in probably 20 or 30 minutes and have some great resources on the Holy Spirit. I'm going to deal with what I think we're learning right here in this text very specifically. So Look, if you look at verse 6, after Acts chapter 1, verse 6, the disciples ask Jesus a question. They say, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? <laughs> this is a funny sentence. Calvin says there are more errors in this sentence than words. Okay. The disciples got it all wrong. Like, they did not understand what they were asking at all. They, they, were, they, were, they, they thought, one, that the kingdom was going to be now, like absolutely restored now. They thought it was going to be territorial, like very specific to that geographical region. 
and they thought it was going to be national, very specific to Israel. And what Jesus says, virtually, the answer he gives them blows that out of the water. What does he say? They're saying, hey, when are you going to restore this kingdom now and this place? And Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What does Jesus do? He connects the Holy Spirit coming. That he answers the question of when is the kingdom coming by saying the Holy Spirit is going to come in power on you. So what is he saying? He's saying the Holy Spirit is going to bring the kingdom of God to bear in your life, in you. Uh, and this is not a concept that is taught here. It's actually taught uh, throughout the Bible, especially in the Old Testament prophecies. In the Old Testament prophecies, the coming kingdom was connected to the coming of God's Spirit. Uh, if you read Zechariah, you, you probably haven't. I would encourage you to read the Minor Prophets. It's some really great stuff. I've been reading them this summer. Um, it's fascinating. But Zechariah 12, 12, 7 through 10 says that it's a prophecy about God restoring the kingdom. Right? In the midst of God restoring this kingdom, restoring the house of David, God promises to pour out his spirit in renewal and repentance on his people. It's fascinating. So what does this mean? This means that the Holy Spirit brings the kingdom of God with all its benefits into the heart of a believer, into the life of a believer. The Holy Spirit is the power of God to bring the kingdom into the life of a believer. And I love how John Stott describes this, so I'm just going to read it. He says, The kingdom of God is his, that's God's, is God's rule set up in the lives of his people by the Holy Spirit. It is spread by witnesses and by the work of the Spirit, not by soldiers, through a gospel of peace, not a declaration of war, and by the work of the Spirit, not by a force of arms, political intrigue, or revolutionary violence. Right. When the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, it sets up the kingdom of God into our life. So we're vitally connected with him, and we're engaged in his kingdom. Uh, it shows the world that the kingdom of God is not territorial, national, or exclusive. The kingdom of God is spiritual, cross-cultural, and inclusive to all who call upon the name of the Lord. Right. So how does this apply to us? Well, I think it applies very specifically, firstly, to all those spiritual battles that we were just talking about. How does... When we're putting our kids to bedtime and there's that cosmic struggle between their heart and our hearts, it's the Holy Spirit that allows us to go in there with grace and kindness and pray for them and talk to them and try to love them and, and pat them on the back or, or whatever it takes, right? It's the Holy Spirit that does that. It's the Holy Spirit that allows us to persevere through difficult projects at work. When, you, when you're just looking at this mountain of stuff going, I can't do this, in that moment, you need the Holy Spirit. It's, it's the Holy Spirit working our lives that allows us to talk to our neighbors with love. To, to just treat them as human beings made in the image of God. To, to ask them questions, to get to know them. It's the Spirit's work. It's the Holy Spirit's work to worship Jesus. To come here. It's the Spirit's work. God, God wants to bring the kingdom to bear in your life in that way. Uh, it's the Spirit's work 
to forbear with your spouse, to actually sit down and have good, healthy conflict where you, where you confess and you forgive and you reconcile. The Spirit wants to do that. The Spirit is there to do that. It loves to do that. Um, it's the Spirit's work to endure suffering with hope. God, God doesn't promise to make us healthy and wealthy and happy all the time. God, in some ways, um, uh, following Jesus makes this life harder. But when we um, are in the midst of suffering, pain and suffering, um, we, can, we can know that God is with us, that he loves us, that he's drawing near to us. And if he does not grant healing in this life, he will certainly grant healing in the next life. And it's as we do that, that the work of God, the, the Holy Spirit is at work softening our hearts and changing our hearts and giving us love and hope and faith. Uh, this summer, our students are going through uh, The Reason for God by Tim Keller. It's an apologetics book. It has a DVD. It's great. It, you should read the book. If you don't read the book, at least watch the DVD and get the study guide. Um, but it's, it's Tim Keller sits down with six non-Christians. They are explicitly non-Christian. They do not agree with him. He sits down and each week they have a topic that they discuss and he asks them questions and he interacts with them. Well, last week we watched one on suffering and evil. And so for 20 minutes, Keller sat down and he talked to these non-Christians about suffering and evil and he presented the Christian view of suffering and he, he presented some theodicies, um, uh, defenses of God in the midst of suffering. Um, he talked about the goodness of God he said, I know that God is good because he died for me on the cross. I know that he's powerful because Jesus brought him up from the grave. We know these things. So if we're suffering, if we're facing evil, we may not know what's going on, but we know that those things are true. And after the movie was over, I said, you know what makes that even like, so much more powerful? Is that he had thyroid cancer in the early 2000s. That he lived it. That he wasn't just up there you know, reading something intellectual that he wrote because he's really smart, he's way smarter than me. He was out there talking about something he believed at the core of his being because it sustained him through great suffering. And, and you think that was easy? I guarantee you the world, the flesh, and the devil were there battling him every day saying, God doesn't love you. If he loved you, he wouldn't let you go through this. If he cared for you, he wouldn't let you suffer. The world was saying, why do you believe in a God that will let you suffer? There was a spiritual struggle going on there, and it was the power of the Holy Spirit that allowed him to maintain his faith in the midst of that and then share that. So it, this Holy Spirit transforms us and then allows us to bear witness to the world that the kingdom is real, right? It's not just for us, right? It's for the world. Jesus says it here, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon me. It will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The idea is that the Holy Spirit is establishing God's kingdom across the face of the earth. Uh, and one of the, one of the prophecies that says that God's glory is going to cover the earth the way the waters um, cover the seas. Right? That's the Spirit's goal is to expand and to spread that kingdom. How is he going to do it? He's going to do it through us. If I was a disciple, this would have been... <laughs> You just got to, like, it's like mind-blowingly frustrating. They're asking, when are you going to restore the kingdom? And Jesus says, wait a minute, the Holy Spirit is going to come on you, and you're going to be my witnesses, and then Jesus goes up to heaven. 
right? Like, you got to kind of chuckle at that, right? Like, they were like, hey, Jesus, when are you going to do it? And he's going, hey, actually, you're going to do it. And like we've talked about before, the church is the body of Christ. So when the church does something, Jesus does something. So Jesus is doing it, but how is he doing it? He's doing it through the church. He's doing it through the church. So when we face suffering with hope, we bear witness to the world that this life is not all there is. And that God can bring hope in the midst of suffering. When we repent in front of our kids, we bear witness to them that there is grace for them in the midst of their shame and their guilt. When we participate in community projects that lift up and give life to the poor and the needy and the weak, we bear witness to the world that we believe that they're made in the image of God and they're worth dignity and honor. Um, when we move towards our spouse in forgiveness, we bear witness that we've been forgiven and there's forgiveness for them. When we forbear with our spouses, we bear witness that we have a great God who loves us and forbears with us every day. Um, this, this week, I, I went to Oklahoma City and I was talking to a, a friend of mine. Uh, we were catching up. And as we were uh, sitting there at the table, at the coffee shop, uh, two ladies walked up. I didn't know these ladies at all. Um, he immediately stood up to, to both ladies, welcomed them, uh, and, then, and then looked one of them right in the face. And you could tell it got serious for a minute. And he said, hey, I, I want to really talk to you about that thing that we talked about last time. And she said, yeah, yeah, I'd love to talk to you about that too. And you could tell, there, like, there was an understanding there that they had talked about something serious and that they were going to go and engage in another conversation about this. And they left. They went away. Later on, we were talking, and he said, yeah, you know, that's, that's so-and-so. She's a lesbian. Um, we've gotten to know each other a little bit. We've been talking to each other. And she shared with me some very hard things that are going on in her life. And I'm going to go talk to her about them again. And, like, you've got to understand, this guy... <laughs> He was, he was my mentor in college. He's extremely successful in business. He is very, very biblically conservative. And he's engaging with a woman who believes in, in many ways the exact opposite that he believes in. Why? He's bearing witness that he has been forgiven, that he's a sinner saved by grace, that she is made in the image of God, and that there's grace and hope for her in this life. That's what happens. That's, that's how the Spirit goes to work. We have to receive it. How do we receive it? Quickly. Um, the Holy Spirit is a gift of God's grace that we receive when we admit that we're not strong enough to do it on our own. When we admit that we can't do life on our own and that, that we would rather reject God and run from Him and harden our hearts. When we admit that that's our tendency, that that's our inclination, that that's what we really want, but we need help and we need change, and we confess that we need Jesus, then God gives us his spirit that changes us. Acts 2, 37, Peter says it. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This happens when we become Christians. Right? There's a very definite moment in which we said, I can't do it. I need Jesus to save me. 
and God pours out the Holy Spirit on us and we're filled with the Holy, we're filled with the Holy Spirit. This is not a second level Christianity thing. This is not like the super, you know, we all, all of us, some people kind of get part of the Holy Spirit, but those who really believe and do a few things, they get a super dose of the Holy Spirit. That's not true. We're all given the Spirit. We're all baptized in the Holy Spirit. Paul says we're all baptized by one Spirit into one body. So if you're here this morning and you've, and you've never just said, Lord, I can't do it. I need Jesus. I need the, the sacrificial love of Christ to cover me and change me. Then you confess that and the Holy Spirit is poured out into you and will baptize you. And that's the, the mark that the Holy Spirit is active in your life and that you're in God's kingdom. But it also comes to us continually, the Holy Spirit comes to us continually as we engage in the means of grace. In Ephesians 5.18, Paul commands the church, he says, be filled with the Spirit. And if you, if you study those verbs, what you see is that Paul is saying, keep being filled with the Spirit. There's a present continuous nature about it. That, that God has given us his Spirit, he's poured it out on us, but we can continue to receive it to take it in, and we need to continue to receive it and to take it in, to live out the kingdom in our lives, right? It's, it's like I've been saying the whole sermon, when you get to that point, when you just put your hands in your, 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 uh, your face in your hands and you say, I can't do it, that's when you receive the Spirit. And you receive it through prayer, you receive it through Scripture, you receive it through corporate worship, you receive it through communion, which we're about to take, you receive it through Christian community, the way Joe was describing when he was struggling with loneliness and anxiety, the only thing we could do was just put our arms around and say, man, we love you. Come, come to Jesus with us. Those are the means of grace. Um, it's, it's the, I, I think of the means of grace like the, um, the, the scuba rescue that we heard this week. Um, or, or it's been going on the last couple of weeks. I'm going to close with this. But uh, there was a, if, if you're not familiar, there was a Taiwanese soccer team that was trapped in some caves in Thailand. I don't know, maybe you heard this story. I kind of got fascinated by it. I get fascinated by this stuff. But they were, uh, after practice or a scrimmage one day, they had a picnic. They decided to take a hike into some caves. They got into the caves, and when they got in there, the rain hit because it's like the rainy season out there. It started flooding the caves, so they moved six and a half miles back into the cave. They got stranded there, right? They were going to die there. Eventually, the rescue teams came, and they found them, and the cave was still flooded. So now they had to figure out how are they going to get these, uh, 12, I think it was 12 boys and their coach, who were six and a half miles deep in the cave, how are they going to get them out to life? So they did is they brought in uh, seal, Navy SEAL divers, right? The Taiwanese Navy SEAL divers, and then some divers from all over the world. They brought them in, and they embarked on this rescue mission where these Navy SEALs scuba dived, went through the caves, scuba dived six and a half miles, got the boys healthy, then set up uh, oxygen tanks throughout the cave and put a, there was like a, there was a portion of the cave that was no bigger than a crawl space and they strung a line through that. And what they would do is they would send these scuba divers in and they would come in and they actually had to teach these boys how to scuba dive. They gave them the scuba diving equipment, and then they crawled through the cave and scuba dived six and a half miles to life. Okay, And I saw that, and I was like, 
That's exactly like us. We're in this sinful, miserable world. We're in this cave. We need to get to Jesus. We need life. And what has the Holy Spirit done? The Holy Spirit has come to rescue us. And it's lined this cave with all of these oxygen bottles that we can use so that we can get to life. And it's even given us a line, Scripture, that we can follow to guide us to the way out. And it's came in and it's in a personal, real way with us. And then in an, in a, in an even vital way, it's in us. Right? It's something we breathe in every day. That, that's how we receive the Holy Spirit. We get by continually just saying, I need Jesus, I need life, I need love, I need, I need faith, I need hope, and the Holy Spirit gives it to me. So let's pray that, that God would do that now. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your word, for your grace, for your mercy. Uh, we thank you for showing us that we can't do this life on our own. We don't have the power. We don't have um, the patience, the kindness. Uh, we're weak. Father, we, suffering is so hard. Parenting is hard. Loving our spouse is hard. Work is hard. School is hard. Father, we need you. And we need Jesus to rescue us. And we need your Holy Spirit to empower us and enliven us. So we pray that you do that by your word or by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.